0: This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday, 10 to 2, on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Our next guest is a longtime Silicon Valley insider and investor, one of the early investors and mentors to Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. So close, in fact, that he recommended that Facebook hire Sheryl Sandberg, who is also now synonymous with the company. But over the last few years, right? Roger McName says he could no longer sit by quietly and watch what was happening to the company. He's written a book about the experience of trying to find out what was going on. The book is called Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe, and Roger Magnum, joins us now. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, it's awesome. It's so great to be back in Vancouver.
0: It's a very catchy title, by the way, to your book.
1: My wife came up with the the name. Smart lady. Well, the great part was I sent it to my agent, and he goes, that'll never fly. And Uh. then about a week later, he calls me back and goes, I can't get the name out of my head. we got to go with it. So then I run it by the editor. He goes, that'll never fly. He takes it to the sales force, and 20 seconds later, he calls me back and goes they just tore me a fresh one they said that's the title dude back off it's our favorite (laughs) one of the whole year
0: well it was off to a good start then um the book is so fascinating there's a line in the book where you say you are really sad about facebook why
1: well imagine this i began my career in silicon valley in 1982 so i was back when dinosaurs roamed the earth right (laughs) i mean the space shuttle was the big new thing before pcs so when i met mark He was only 22, but I had been investing for 24 years, half my life. And he was extraordinary. You know, I thought he had a better value system and a much better idea than anybody else at that time, which is really saying something because if you think back – the early 2000s a lot of the companies got started got started with this notion of just ignoring the rules ignoring the law yeah. and just taking what they wanted so think uber and lyft and airbnb or spotify right. right all of them took advantage of something facebook seemed like it was more balanced like it was more user focused and it required identity you had to use your school email address to get on when i first got involved with them and i thought that was going to allow them to be bigger than than google was at that time because it would keep trolls out and so i really believed in mark and so i was sad because i spent three years as a close advisor and then i was you know six seven years just watching from the sidelines as a fan and for whatever reason i should have seen the signals earlier than i did but when i finally saw them it was just heartbreaking because you know this was something i'd been involved in something i really believed in people i really liked and all of a sudden i'm having to come to terms with with a, a, a catastrophe
0: What were those signals, though? And at what point did you start to think to yourself that something's wrong?
1: So here's the thing. I retired from the investment business at the end of 2015, and I go on vacation with my wife. And like a month later, boom, it's the beginning of the Democratic primary in New Hampshire in 2016. So it's January. And I start to see things coming out of a Facebook group that was notionally tied to the Bernie Sanders campaign. And it was these horrible anti-Hillary clinton memes that were deeply misogynistic totally inappropriate and they were spreading virally which said wow somebody was advertising to get my friends into this group because there's no way they would have found it any other way and then a few months later facebook expelled a group that used the advertising tools to gather data on people who expressed an interest in black lives matter and they sold it to police departments now, Facebook did the right thing, expelled them, but by then the harm had been done. Yeah. And then in June of 2016, we had Brexit. So the UK referendum on the European Union. And that's when I realized, oh my God, in the context of an election, the way Facebook virality works really favors the campaign with the more vicious, negative message. And I thought, that's really bad for democracy. That's when I, at that point, I'm realizing, wait a minute, I have three unrelated things. There's something wrong here. So I start trying to find allies, people to help me because I didn't have any data. And it took me months before I could get anybody to listen. By then, there were more data points. I finally reached out to Mark and Cheryl in October of 2016, nine days before the U.S. election. And I said, guys, I think there's something wrong with the business model and the algorithms that lets bad actors hurt innocent people this
0: is nine days before the election before the election okay and you obviously you have the ability to get their ear they're going to pay attention to you when you send an email roger
1: they certainly responded right away okay but 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 they they didn't treat it like a business problem they treated it like a public relations problem like like the problem would be what if i took what i said to them and went public with it so what they really wanted to do was to keep me from talking about the problem so they said roger We think this is really important, but we don't think this is anything wrong with the business model. We don't think this is wrong with the algorithms. We think these are isolated things that we've taken care of, but we take you seriously. So we're going to hand you off to one of our colleagues, a guy I knew really well and I liked very much. So I was okay with that. But the notion was, we're not going to take a meeting with you. We're not going to really drill down on this. We're going to let Dan take care of it. And he explains to me, Roger, Facebook is a platform, not a media company. Right? So
0: you got the same thing coming back to you and you're listening, I know I know this, you guys. I, I, I know I this already.
1: So in every conversation with Dan was literally I could have I literally could have played it back to him, right? Because by the third or fourth conversation before the election, he's saying the same things over and over again, expecting me to be satisfied and I'm not. And I explained to him, I go, wait a minute, I've got two massive issues of civil rights and two things related to elections that are scary. And you know then the U.S. election happens. And after that, I freak out completely. And I explain to him, I go, dude, you need to understand, this is a trust business. You have to protect the people who use your product. You have to do what Johnson & Johnson, the pharmaceutical company, did. Great story, after yeah. After Tylenol. Right? Explain some, to people what that means. So in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois, some dude put poison in bottles of Tylenol on retail shelves. Few people were killed. The CEO of Johnson Johnson didn't wait a moment. The literally the minute the story breaks, he pulls every bottle of Tylenol.
0: Right off the shelves. Every single one.
1: Every single one. Yeah. And the net result was that, you know, they took a short-term hit, but they didn't put it back till they created tamper-proof packaging. Yeah. At which point everybody goes, Wow, those people are really good, right? They're really trustworthy. And
0: that they was, care about us. It's, it's is what the you same think. thing yeah. that
1: Boeing should have done with the seven thirty seven Max. And anyway, I was telling Google. I'm uh, sorry, I was telling Facebook. This is what you guys got to do. And he's going, Roger. The law says we're okay. I'm going. Hang on. You got. Brexit, you got the U.S. election, and we don't know what degree you're involved, but it sure looks like you're involved a lot, and then you've got these civil rights things where you're clearly involved. You can't pretend that the law is going to protect you if people stop trusting.
0: Was that the point then, Roger, when you realized your idea of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook was very different from the reality of what oh, it yeah. became
1: and it was crushing because I'm a pro- I'd spent 34 years as a professional investor right I mean I'm an analyst I yeah. should know and it was like why didn't I see this sooner I just I wanted to Why didn't
0: you see it sooner?
1: It's a great question. I think it's because I was at the tail end of my career. I really liked these people. I wanted to believe they were different and better. And you know, we all make mistakes and in this case I made that one.
0: Roger McNamee has been investing in Silicon Valley for 35 years. His book is called Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. And as you as you explained in the book, Roger, which is so fascinating, is that this was difficult for you to oh, come yeah. to that point, to admit this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was one of those moments where, as somebody who was retired, I could easily have sat back and just let it be somebody else's problem. And for whatever reason, I realized it was a moment in time that was really a test of my character. You know, if I wasn't going to stand up and do something about this, I wasn't really going to stand up and do anything about anything, right? And uh, it was funny because when I gave up after three months trying to persuade Facebook to do the right thing, I I had a, mom- a month of soul searching. Where I was trying to figure out, what should I do? And I couldn't find anybody to work with on the thing. And then a miracle occurred. I was on Bloomberg television co-hosting their tech show which I do once or twice a year and by pure dumb chance there's a guy on there named Tristan Harris who had been the design ethicist of Google and he's on because he'd been on 60 Minutes the US uh, news program talking about brain hacking. and Now, Tristan is an expert in persuasive technology, and he was really talking about the fact that when you take the techniques that advertisers and public relations people have used for 100 years, and you put them on a smartphone, hmm. you get superpowers, right? You get this ability to really manipulate people. get
0: right into people's brain, yeah.
1: Because you can tailor it so individually. And this notion that Facebook is two and a half billion Truman shows with everybody getting their own reality, and how dangerous that can be to people's public health, but also to democracy. And when I I interviewed him and afterwards I called him up, I go, do you need a wingman? Because he clearly understood the underlying cause of what I had seen. And the way he articulated it it was so clear that I just said, let me help you. And so the two of us ganged up. And in fact, one of the first things we did was come here to Vancouver. We came to the TED conference in uh, 2017. Right. And a couple people managed to get Tristan onto the schedule at the last minute. So he comes to deliver the pitch here in, 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 in Vancouver. And everybody... Like, we're expecting a thousand people are going to come immediately to our side, right? And the whole thing, <laughs> we're like, going to solve, we're going to yeah. solve, how are they going to, not me, but to Tristan, right. right? But we're thinking, its we're going to have a thousand people, we're going to be done in yeah. two weeks, right? And we get like two business cards out of it out of 1,000 people. And then Oops. we neither one of them returned the phone call afterwards. It was like, it was immensely... And
0: this was after? Like, was this after Cambridge Analytica? No, no, no. This was like
1: a whole year before. Oh, okay. okay. This is still a whole year before. And all so, right. th- th- in fact, that's the problem, was at the beginning of this thing, you know, we all had a worldview of what these products were like. And we knew that we were giving up personal data in order to get a great free service. What we didn't realize was what else was going on. That, in fact there was a lot more data being consumed than what we notionally understood ourselves to be giving up. We would sit there.
0: And that that data was being used for more nefarious purposes than people realized.
1: Well, it it was available on Facebook to be used by bad guys, and it was available inside Google to be used by Google too, right? And so you wind up with this situation where you think you're getting a fair trade, and what is going on in reality is that 99% of the value is from what they call metadata, which is the data about what you're doing. So it's the device you're on. Are you moving? Are you still? Are you with other people? Where are you, right? Yeah. That has a lot of value. But your browsing history is immensely valuable. What are the 200 things you did before the thing they are interested in? What are the 200 you do after? What do other people do around that? And then they buy all this data, like banking information, you know, and uh, – Uh, location from your mobile vendor. They buy health and wellness stuff from applications, right? There was a scandal just a few weeks ago about women's menstrual data being sold to Facebook. And with that whole set of data, they can construct a data avatar on each and every one of us, whether we're on the platform or not, right? You're not on Facebook. And yet, I promise you, somewhere inside that server at Facebook, they have got a really good view of you. And the key thing is we sit there and think, well, wait a minute, our data is out there. There's nothing we can do about it. But the truth is, it's the wrong way to think about it because the damage they do to us is trivial in comparison to the way they use our data to affect other people.
0: So then, is there a way to not let that happen?
1: Yes. Okay. So the thing I've been arguing for is I believe that the practices around data are just wrong. So the Europeans, with their global data protection regulation, and the state of California, which has its like... GDPR light; those are were the right idea for w- how we understood the problem three years ago. Okay. Now, what we know is that all this other data, right? Because those things only cover the data you put in, which is maybe one percent. The other data is is essentially commercially available to anybody who wants it, and we need to stop that. We need to end the practice only of, by
0: law. Do you think is that only I think regulation?
1: It, no. I, well, I, one would have hoped the companies would change, but I've no. given up on that. So we yeah. need regulation. So what I'd love to see here in, in Canada is just end the practice of third-party transactions in any kind of personal data, so financial, health and wellness, banking. I'd like to end the practice of companies scanning emails and documents. I mean, in the United States, if Google is, in fact, a platform, that makes them a common carrier. So like a phone company or a postal service, they're not allowed to read the contents of what you're doing, yet they read Gmail. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, you're either a platform or you're a media company. If you're reading the content, but my point is they're claiming that they're a platform, in which case what they're doing is breaking the law. And by the way, it's not like a civil offense. It's a criminal offense. And so my point here is we've never had the conversations. What I want to do is stop the data traffic and then have a conversation about what's reasonable. Because if we're trying to have the negotiation from where we are today, you wind up with – the Global Data Protection Regulation. You wind up addressing only a teeny fraction of the problem. And so I want to do that. And then I want to use antitrust law in the US to create space for competitors because these guys are blocking everything. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Facebook, Google. They buy up everybody. Well, and think about Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon control probably 80% of all the artificial intelligence talent in North America. And all of it's being devoted to behavioral manipulation, right? Which is a really Chinese idea. This is this notion with Pokemon Go or with the Google Maps where, you know, you think you're playing a game or you're trying to get from point A to point B and quickly. They are
0: getting you and from Google, point
1: A. To- and Google's sitting there going, How can what can I do to Change your behavior. So, can I put a Pokemon behind a fence and get you to climb the fence? Yes. Can I put a Pokemon in a Starbucks and get you to go into Starbucks? Yes. If I get Starbucks to pay me, can I do a couponing thing where I can get you to buy coffee? Yes. Or in the case of Google Maps, their job is not to get you from A to B quickly. Their job is to know the time of every possible route. So, some people have to be sent on inferior routes to find out what the timing is. And so, some percent, yeah, my point is we don't know that's going on. And yet, they're sitting there saying, you can't regulate this because we have to compete with China in behavioral manipulation. And I'm going, why?
0: Why? Yeah. Right?
1: I mean, that's like competing with them to do time-release anthrax. Now, I mean, I just – there's some things you shouldn't be doing. And I think – behavioral manipulation is really high on the list of things you shouldn't be doing.
0: I feel like we could have you here all day to talk well, about this, but very quickly. Before but we I will f- come back. Okay, good. Good to know. But before we let you go, I have to ask you, like, what is your relationship like today with Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg?
1: I have no idea. I don't have one currently. I last, that would explain I last it. heard from them on the 30th of October of 2016. Um, I have heard indirectly. They sometimes say unflattering things about me, which is not a huge surprise because I think... Well, they still know. haven't
0: gotten the message, though. Well, actually, interestingly,
1: i think mark is making a real effort now to be part of the conversation i don't like any of the things he's saying i think the things he's saying are disingenuous but he for a long time they were pretending like it didn't apply to them yeah now at least they're in the conversation google's still pretending like it doesn't apply to them and you know Mm -hmm. google invented that whole business model and they're really good at it and they work really closely with a lot of governments, so they think they've got everybody taken care of and i'm hoping that's not true
0: We'll see about that. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey,
1: it is such a pleasure to be back in Vancouver and to be especially to be here with you. And I am come back anytime. My wife and I, we have a, a vacation home here. So Do we you? come here regularly.
0: Okay, then that's it. Now we know we're going to be calling you yeah. every time we need to talk about this topic because it's right. a good one. The book is called Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. Uh, it is written by Roger McDamee. And you know what? You are going to want to read this if you have any concern at all about your private data, your private information, what's been going on on Facebook, you name it. Make sure you check that out.